Drunk Mythology Friends. I'm Kate. And I'm Other Jen. And I'm still Kim. And we're the Drunk Drunk, drunk Dracula. Drunk Dracula. Shit, I started Shit. to say mythology. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it kept oh. you from being in sync. So, oh. dang it. Aw, I'm just running on like autopilot that's gone defunct <laughs> mm, autopilot that spoiled needs, autopilot yeah, it's the autopilot that needs the update overnight would there you like to restart yes that's <laughs> what i need did you try turning it off and back on again ah <laughs> oh, the big on off switch through the, <laughs> punching through the internet so this is chapter 15 of brahm stroker's dracula <laughs> that's what it's going to be forever now i yep. Not feeling guilty. And this is celebrating the month of Drunk Dracula Gals, also called October, also called... Drunktober. Drunk. I mean, that should be blindingly obvious. Right. By this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we have started taking a little more artistic liberties with this public domain script. We're like doing little minor surgeries and little facelifts here and there of trying to make it a little smoother to read. But for the most part, you know, we're reading it as it is. Yep. Yep. So Plastic Surgeons, we love you if you'd like to sponsor us. <laughs> anyway. Any first year medical students that would like to sponsor us. That's right. Yeah, because they're the ones with money. <laughs> and time. Here we go. Back to England. What time is it? Recap, recap time! That's right. This is the recap for chapter 14. Here we go. Mina reads Jonathan's journal. Oh, come on. Oh, we all knew that was going to <laughs> As she made a promise not to read it. Don't do the thing equals do the thing. Always. Always. Van yep. Helsing tells Mina to smile more. <sighs> Jonathan feels much better after meeting Van Helsing because he doesn't have to make any decisions anymore. He just has to listen to Van Helsing. And that, my friends, is how you start a cult. But it turns out that Dr. Seward may have caught a case of the Harkers because after deciding his diary was finished, he's like, oops, guess what? I guess it wasn't. Ha ha. He and wrote the, the knee and everything. Yes. <laughs> and the Westminster Gazette reporter obviously went to the same school of journalism as the two reporters, other reporters, because can you just use blue for lady once and correct it to beautiful for clarity? I mean, what are your editors doing? Oh, wait, they're all hiding in a corner crying softly. Nothing is new. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> okay, the last we spoke, uh, just to just to bring us up to speed here, uh, Van Helsing had said uh, Lucy was the one that had bitten the, the little baby. Yeah, right. Doctor Seward's diary continued for a Kim? while. Sheer, oh. yes, I'm sorry, I'm still here. Um, okay. <laughs> Mike, I told you I'm, I'm on other people's internet today, so bear oh, with me. Fine. For a while, sheer anger mastered me. It was as if he had struck her life. In, it was as if he had in her life struck Lucy in the face. I smote the table hard and rose up and I said to him, Dr. Van Helsing, are you mad? He raised his head and looked at me and somehow the tenderness of his face calmed me at once. Would that I were. Madness were easy to bear compared with truths like this. Oh, my friend, why, think you, did I go so far round? Why take so long to tell you a simple thing? Was it because I <laughs> ate you and I've hated you all my life? <laughs> yeah. Was it, because, <laughs> was it because I wished to give you pain? Yes. Was it what I wanted? Yes. 
Now, so late. Revenge for that time when you saved my life and from a fearful death. Ah, no. Forgive me, said I. He went on. My friend! It was because I wished to be gentle in the breaking to you, for I know you have loved that so sweet lady. But even yet, I do not expect you to believe. It is so hard to accept at any at once any abstract truth that we may doubt such to be possible when we have always believed the no of it. It is more hard still to accept so sad a concrete truth and of such a one as Miss Lucy. Tonight, I go to prove it. Dare you come with me? This staggered me. (laughs) A man does not like to prove such a truth. Byron accepted from the category jealousy and prove the very truth he most abhorred, which according to our uh, other gen is a poem uh, Don Juan by Lord Byron. He's quoting. He saw my hesitation and spoke. The logic is simple. No madman's logic this time, jumping from tussock to tussock in a misty bog as opposed to a non-misty bog. (laughs) If it be not true, then proof will be relief. At worst, it will not harm. If it be true, ah, there is a dread, yet very dread should help my cause, for in it is some need of belief. Come, I tell you what I propose. First, we go off now and see that child in the hospital. Dr. Vincent of the North Hospital, where the papers say the child is, is a friend of mine. Oh my God, how many friends does this guy have? Like All of them. Oh boy, creepy. And I think of yours since you were in the class at Amsterdam. Dude, what happens in Amsterdam? Stays, <laughs> Stays in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> he will let the two scientists see his case if he will not let two friends. And we shall tell him nothing, but only that we wish to learn. And then... And then he took a key from his pocket and held it up. And then we spend the night, you and I... In the churchyard where Lucy lies. We're not here to kink shame. Go on. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) This is the key that locks the tomb. Yes, we're kink shaming if it comes to necrophilia. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair game. I add it from the coffin man to give to Arthur. My heart sank within me, for I felt there was some fearful ordeal before us, you think? I could do nothing, however, so I plucked up what heart I could and said that we had better hasten as the afternoon was passing. We found the child awake. It had had a sleep. Does a child have to be a certain age for them to refer to it by a pronoun other than it, I wonder? It had had a sleep and taken some food and altogether was going on well. Dr. Vincent took the bandage from its throat and showed us the punctures. There was no mistaking the similarity to those which had been on Lucy's throat. They were smaller and the edges looked fresher. That was all. We asked Vincent to what he attributed them, and he replied, "It must have Safety been a bite. <laughs> Safety pin. It must have been the bite of some animal, perhaps a rat. But for his own part, he was inclined to think it was one of the bats, which are so numerous on the northern heights of London. Out of so many harmless ones, there may be some wild specimen from the south of a more malignant species. Some sailor may have brought one home and it managed to escape, or." Even from the zoological gardens, a young one may have got loose, or one be bred there from a vampire. Ding, ding, ding. These, these things <laughs> do occur, you know. Only 10 days ago, a wolf got out and oh, was, berserker. I believe, <laughs> traced up in this direction. For a week after, the children were playing nothing but Red Riding Hood on the heath and in every alley in the place until this bloofer lady scare came along, (laughs) since when it has been quite a gala time with them. 
Even this poor little mite, when he woke up today, asked the nurse if he might go away. When she asked him why he wanted to go, he said he wanted to go play with the bloofer lady. I hope that when you are sending the child home, you will caution its parents to keep strict watch over it. These fancies to stray are most dangerous, and if the child were to remain out another night, it would probably be fatal. But in any case, I suppose you will not let it away for some days, huh? Certainly not. Not for a week at least. Longer if the wound is not healed. Our visit to the hospital took more time than we'd reckoned on, and the sun had dipped before we came out. When Van Helsing saw how dark it was, he said, eh, There is no hurry. It is more late than I thought. Come, let us seek somewhere that we may eat, and then we shall go on our way. We dined at Jack Straw's Castle, along with a little crowd of bicyclists and others who were very genially noisy. About 10 o'clock, we started from the inn. It was then very dark, and the scattered lamps made the darkness greater once we were outside their individual radius. The professor had evidently noted the road we were to go, for he went on unhesitatingly. But as for me, I was in quite a mix-up as to the locality. As he went further, we met fewer and fewer people, till at last we were somewhat surprised that we met even the patrol of horse police going their usual suburban round. When at last we reached the wall of the church guard, which we climbed over, with some little difficulty, for it was very dark and the whole place seemed so strange to us, we found the Western Ratoom. The professor took the key, opened the creaky door, and standing back politely, but quite unconsciously, motioned me to precede him. Oh, please, after <laughs> you. <laughs> There was a delicious irony in the offer and the offer, the courtliness of giving preference on such a ghastly occasion. My companion followed me quickly and cautiously drew the door to, after carefully ascertaining that the lock was a falling and not a spring one. In the latter case, we should have been in a bad plight. Then he, fumbled, yeah. <laughs> then he fumbled in his bag and taking out a matchbox and a piece of candle proceeded to make a light. The tomb in the daytime and when wreathed with fresh flowers had looked grim and gruesome enough, but now, some days afterward... When flowers hung lank and dead, their whites turning to rust and their greens to brown, when the spider and the beetle had resumed their accustomed dominance, when time discolored stone and dust-encrusted mortar and rusty dank iron and tarnished brass and clouded silver plating gave back the feeble glimmer of a candle, the effect was more miserable and sordid than could ever been imagined. It conveyed irresistibly the idea that life, animal life, was not the only thing that could pass away. Van Helsing went about his work systematically, holding his candle so that he could read the coffin plates, and so holding that the sperm dropped. <laughs> I have never heard it called, the drip candle drippings called sperm before, but never. Graham, you be you. <laughs> he dropped in white patches, which congealed as they touched the metal. He made assurance of Lucy's coffin. Another search in his handbag, and he took out a turnscrew. What are you going to do, I asked. Uh, to open the coffin. You shall yet be convinced. Straight away, he began taking out the screws and finally lifted off the lid, showing the casing of lead beneath. The sight was almost too much for me. It seemed to be as much an affront to the dead as it would have been to having stripped off her clothing in her sleep whilst living. Not that you Act ever thought of doing that. <laughs> Everybody raise your hands. It's unanimous. <laughs> I actually took hold of his hand to stop him. He only said, you shall see. And again, fumbling in his bag, took out a tiny fret saw. Striking the turn screw through the lead with a swift downward stab, which made me wince, he made a small hole, which was, however, big enough to admit the point of the saw. I had expected a rush of gas from the weak old corpse. We doctors who have come to study our dangers have to become accustomed to such things, and I drew back towards the door. 
But the, in the Silence of the Lambs, they put Vicks under their nose in exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the professor not never stopped for a moment. He saw down a couple of feet across one side of the lead coffin and then across and down the other side. Taking the edge of the loose flange, he bent it back towards the foot of the coffin and holding up the candle into the aperture, motioned to me to look. I drew near and looked. Any guesses? Mm, we're all wrong. Mm. The coffin was empty. <laughs> oh. It was certainly a surprise to me and gave me considerable shock, but Van Helsing was unmoved. He was now more sure than ever of his ground and so emboldened to proceed in his task. Are you satisfied now, friend Jean? Huh? 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 Yeah, yeah, I got your <laughs> right here. I felt all the dogged argument, all the dogged argumentativeness of my nature awake within me as I answered. I am satisfied that Lucy's body is not in that coffin, but that only proves one thing. And what is that, friend Jean? Huh? That it is not there. Ah, <laughs> that is good logic. So Thank far you. as it goes, but how do you, how can you account for it not being there? Uh, perhaps a body snatcher, I suggested. Some of, the under- <laughs> Some of the Undertaker's people may have stolen it. I felt that I was speaking folly, yet it was the only real cause which I could suggest. The professor sighed. Ah, well, we must have more proof. Come with me. He put in the coffin lid again, gathered up all of his things and placed them in the bag, blew out the light and placed... Sh- shoot, my mouse is jumping all around. I'm sorry. Placed the candle also in the bag. We opened the door and went out. Behind us, he closed the door and locked it. He handed me the key, saying, Will you keep it? You would be better assured. I laughed. It was not a very cheerful laugh. King laugh, apparently, not in evidence. <laughs> right. I'm about to say, King laugh application. I am bound to say, as I motioned him to keep it. A key is nothing, I said. There may be duplicates. And anyhow, it is not difficult to pick a lock of that kind. He said nothing but put the key in his pocket. Then he told me to watch at one side of the churchyard whilst he would watch the other. I took up my place behind a yew tree, and I saw his dark figure moving until the intervening headstones and trees hid it from my sight. It was a lonely vigil. Just after I'd taken my place, I heard a distant clock strike twelve, and in time came one and two. I was chilled and unnerved and angry with the professor for taking me on such an errand, and with myself for coming. I was too cold and too sleepy to be keenly observant, and not sleepy enough to betray my trust, so altogether I had a dreary, miserable time. (laughs) Worst vacation ever. (laughs) Suddenly, as I turned round, I thought I saw something like a white streak moving between two dark yew trees at the side of the churchyard furthest from the tomb. At the same time, a dark mass moved from the professor's side of the ground and hurriedly went towards it. Then I too moved, but I had to go round headstones and railed off tombs and I stumbled over graves. The sky was overcast, and somewhere far off an early cock crew, crowed, crew. A little way <laughs> off, between, behind the line of scattered juniper trees, which marked the pathway to the church, a white, dim figure flitted in the direction of the tomb. The tomb itself was hidden by the trees, and I could not see where the figure had disappeared. I heard the rustle of actual movement where I had first seen the white figure, and coming over, found the professor holding in his arms a tiny child. When he saw me, he held it out to me, and he said, Are you satisfied now? Huh? Huh? No! I said in a way that I felt was aggressive. Do you not see the child? Yes, it's a child, but who brought it here? And is it wounded? I asked. We We shall see said the professor, and with one impulse we took our way out of the churchyard, he carrying the sleeping child. When he'd got some little distance away, we went into a clump of trees and struck a match and looked at the child's throat. It was without a scratch or scar of any kind. Was I right? I asked triumphantly. Ah, we were just in time. 
We had to now decide what we were to do with the child and so consulted about it. If we were to take it to the police station, we should have to give some account of our movements during the night. At least we should have to make some statement as how do you come to find the child? <laughs> right. Just walking down the street. And <laughs> So we finally decided that we would take it to the Heath and when we heard a policeman coming, we would leave it where he could not fail to find it. That we would then seek our way home as quickly as we could. All fell out Worst well. Worst child protective services ever. Right. <laughs> All fell out well. At the edge of Hempstead Heath, we heard a policeman's heavy tramp, and laying the child on the pathway, we waited and watched until he saw it as it flashed his lantern to and fro. We heard his exclamation of astonishment, and then we went away silently. By good chance, we got a cab near the Spaniards, whatever that is, and drove to town. I cannot sleep, so I shall make this entry, but I must try to get a few hours sleep, as Van Helsing is to call for me at noon. He insists that I shall go with him on another expedition. Oh, great. Sleep deprivation <laughs> is step one of cult programming. Cult, cult yeah. programming, that's right. He's not making <laughs> great decisions right now. 27 September. It was two o'clock before we found a suitable opportunity for our attempt. The funeral held at noon was all completed and the last stragglers of the mourners had taken themselves lazily away. When, looking carefully from behind a clump of alder trees, we saw the sexton lock the gate after him. We knew that we were safe till morning, did we desire it, but the professor told me we should not want more than an hour at most. Again, I felt that horrid sense of the reality of things in which any effort of imagination seemed out of place, and I realized distinctly the perils of the law which we were incurring in our unhallowed work. Might lose his license. <laughs> Besides, yeah. it all felt so useless, outrageous as it was to open a leaden coffin to see if a woman dead nearly a week were really dead. It now seemed the height of folly to open the tomb again when we knew from the evidence of our own eyesight that the coffin was empty. The last shreds of logic. Right. <laughs> you cling to those, my friend. I shrugged my shoulders, however, and rested silent, for Van Helsing had a way of going his own road, no matter who remonstrated. Cult. He took the key, opened the vault, and again courteously motioned me to proceed. The place was not so gruesome as last night, but, oh, how unutterably mean-looking when the sunshine streamed in. Van Helsing walked over to Lucy's coffin, and I followed. He bent over, and again forced back the leaden flange. Then a shock of surprise and dismay shot through me. Any guesses? You're all wrong. Very late Lucy, <laughs> seemingly just as we'd seen her the night before her funeral. She was, if possible, more radiantly beautiful than ever, and I could not believe that she was dead. The lips were red, nay, redder than before, and on the cheeks was a delicate bloom. Is this a juggle? I said to him. Are you convinced now? Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the professor in response. And he spoke, he put over his hand and in a way that made me shudder, pulled back the dead lips and showed the white teeth. See, see, they are even sharper than before with this and this. He, he touched one of the canine teeth and that below it. The little children can be bitten. <laughs> are you of belief now, friend John? Once more, argumentative hostility woke within me. I could not accept such an overwhelming idea as he suggested. So, with an attempt to argue of which I was even at the moment ashamed, I said, She may have been placed here since last night. <laughs> Indeed, that is so. And by whom? 
I don't know. Someone has done it. And yet she has been dead one week. Most people in that time would not look so, and probably they would smell, because, you know, he mentioned smell before, but he didn't talk about smell. I had no answer for this, so I was silent. (laughs) Van Helsing did not seem to notice my silence. At any rate, he showed neither chagrin nor triumph. He was looking intently at the face of the dead woman, raising the eyelids and looking at the eyes, and once more opening the lips and examining the teeth. Then he turned to me and said, here, there is one thing which is different from all recorded. Here is some dual life that is not as the common. She was bitten by the vampire. Finally. When she was in the trance, sleepwalking. Oh, you stopped. You do not know that, friend Jean, but you shall know it all later. And in trance, could be best. Uh, could he best come to take more blood? In trance, she died, and in trance, she is undead too. So it is she... Is that it? Yeah. So it is that she differ from all other. Usually, when the undead sleep at home, as he spoke, he made a comprehensive sweep of his arm to designate what a vampire was home. Their face shows what they are, but this so sweet that was when she was not undead. She go back to the nothings of the common dead. There is no malign here, see, and so it make it hard that I must kill her in her sleep. I beg your pardon. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> This turned my blood cold, and it began to dawn on me that I was accepting Van Helsing's theories, cult. But if she were really dead, what was the terror in the idea of killing her? He looked up at me and evidently saw the change in my face, for he said almost joyously, Ha ha! You believe now! (laughs) I answered, do not press me too hard all at once. I'm willing to accept. How do you do this bloody work? Ah, you know, I shall cut off her head and fill her mouth with garlic, and then I shall drive a strike to her body. Oh, well, that's all. It made me shudder <laughs> you know. to think of so mutilating the body of the woman whom I had loved. And yet the feeling was not so strong as I had expected. I was, in fact, beginning to shudder at the presence of this being, this undead, as Van Selsing called it, and to loathe it. See, he's switched over to it now. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that all that love is all subjective or all objective? I waited a considerable time for Van Helsing to begin, but he stood as if wrapped in thought. Presently, he closed the catch of his bag with a snap and said, I've been thinking, and I've made up my mind as to what is best. If I did simply follow my inclining, I would do now, at this moment, what is to be done. But, you know, there are other things to follow and things that are a thousand times more difficult in that them we do not know. This is simple. Eh, she have like... There, she have yet no life taken, though that is of time, and to act now would be to take danger from her forever. But then we may have to want after, and how shall we tell him of this? If you, who saw the wounds on Lucy's throat and saw the wounds so similar on the child's at the hospital, if you, who saw the coffin empty last night and today full with a woman who have not changed, only to be more rose, rosé and more beautiful in a whole week after she die. I can go for some rosé. <laughs> Black, pink in your area. If you know of this and know of the white figure last night that brought the child to the churchyard, and yet of your own senses, you did not believe. How then can I expect after my next cult victim, who know <laughs> none of these things, to believe? He doubted me when I took from him her kiss when she was dying. I know he has forgiven me because in some mistaken idea, I have done things that prevent him say goodbye as he ought. 
And he may think that uh, in some more mistaken ideas, this woman was buried alive. And uh, in the most mistake of all, we have killed her. Yeah, yeah. You know, he will then argue back that it is we mistaken ones that have killed her by our ideas. And so he will be much unhappy always and perhaps sue me because this is not practice. <laughs> Yet he never can be sure. And that is the worst of all. And I need him to be sure to believe in me because that's how cult works. And he will sometimes think that she, she he loved was buried alive and that will paint his dreams with the horrors of what she must have suffered. And again, he will think that we may be right and that his so beloved was after all an undead. No, I tell him once and since then I learned much. Now, since I know it is all true, a hundred thousand times more do I know that he must pass through the bitter waters to reach the sweet. <sighs> cult. Uh, he, poor <laughs> fellow, must have one hour that will make the very face of heaven grow black to him. Then we can act for good <laughs> all around and send him to peace. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> my mind is made up. Let us go. You return home for tonight to your asylum and see that all be well. As for me, I shall spend the night here in the churchyard <clears throat> in my own way. Okay. Tomorrow. That doesn't sound weird, right? <laughs> Tomorrow night, you shall come to me at the Berkeley Hotel at 10 of the clock. I shall send for Arthur to come too. And also that so fine young man of America that gave his blood, but I have not brought him over to my side yet. Later, we shall all have work to do. I come with you so far as the Piccadilly and Zerdine, for I must be back here before the sunset. So bye bye. We locked, bye bye. So we locked the tomb and came away and got over the wall of the churchyard, which was not much of a task, and drove back to Piccadilly. Note left by Van Helsing in his portmanteau, Berkeley Hotel, directed to John Seward, MD. Not delivered. 27 September, friend John. I write this in case anything should happen. I go alone to watch in that churchyard. It pleases me that the undead Miss Lucy shall not leave tonight, that so on the morrow night she may be more eager. Therefore, that's cruel. Therefore, I shall fix some things she not like, garlic and a crucifix, and so seal up the door of the tomb. She is young as undead and will eat. More. These are only to prevent her coming out. They may not prevail on her wanting to get in, for then the undead is desperate and must find the line of least resistance, whatever, whatsoever it may be. I shall be at end all the night from sunset till after the sunrise, and if there be aught that may be learned, I shall learn it. For Miss Lucy, or from her, I have no fear. Eh? But that other... She's got a big fat neck. <laughs> <laughs> Fat head, more like. But that other to whom is there, she is undead. He have now the power to seek her tomb and to find shelter. He is cunning, as I know from Mr. Jonathan, and the way that all along he have fooled us when he played with us for Miss Lucy's life and we lost. And in many ways, the undead are strong. He have always the strength of his hand. In his end of twenty men, even we four who gave our strength to Miss Lucy, it is also to him. Oh, this is creepy. Besides, he can summon the wolf, and I know not what. Hello, berserker. So if it be <laughs> that he come thither on this night, he shall find me, but none other shall until it be too late. But it may be that he will not attempt the place. There is no reason why he should. His hunting ground is more full of game than the churchyard where the undead woman sleep, and the old one man uh, and the one old man keep watch. 
Therefore, I write this in case, take the papers that are with this and the diaries of our current arrest and read them, and then find this great undead and cut off his head and burn his heart to drive a stake through it, eh? so that the world may be, may be at rest from him. If it be so, farewell, Van Helsing. Bye. <laughs> Dr. Seward's Diary, 28th September. It's wonderful what a good night's sleep will do for one. Yesterday, I was almost willing to accept Van Helsing's monstrous ideas, but now they start to sound as out. They seem to start out lurid before me as outrageous in common sense. I have no doubt that he believes it all. I wonder if his mind can become in any way, if his mind had become in any way unhinged. Ding, ding, ding. He's, <laughs> he's looking for new tenants of his insane asylum. Surely there must be some rational explanation for all these mysterious things. Is it possible that the professor can have done it himself? He's so abnormally clever that if he went off his head, he would carry out his intent with regard to some fixed idea in a wonderful way. Wonderful must have meant something different back then. Right. <laughs> oh, I am loath to Candle think sperm. it. <laughs> oh my God. Right. The English language, it's not fixed. I am loath to think it, and indeed it would be almost as great a marvel as the other to find out that Van Helsing was mad. But anyhow, I, anyhow, I shall watch him carefully. I may get some light on the mystery. 29 September, morning. Last night, a little before 10 o'clock, Arthur and Quincy came into Van Helsing's room. He told us all that he wanted us to do but especially addressing himself to Arthur, as if all of our wills were centered on his. Not culty he at began all. By, <laughs> he began by saying that he hoped we would all come with him too. For there is a grave duty to be done there. You are doubtless surprised at my letter. This query was directly addressed to Lord Godalming. I was. It rather upset me for a bit. There has been so much trouble around my house of late that I could do without any more. I have been curious, too, as to what you mean. Quincy and I talked it over, but the more we talked, the more puzzled we got. Till now, I can say for myself that I'm about up a tree as to any meaning about anything. Me too. <laughs> Is that what you're going with? <laughs> uh, hey, look, it's Quincy. Said Quincy Morris laconically. Oh, then you are nearer the beginning, both of you, than friend John here, who has to go a long way back before he can even get so far as to begin. It was evident that he recognized my return to my old doubting frame of mind without my saying a word. Then, turning to the other two, he said with intense gravity, I want your permission to do what I think is good this night. It is, I know, much to ask, and when you know what it is I propose to do, you will know and only then how much. Therefore, uh, may I ask that you promise me in the dark so that afterwards, though you may be angry with me for a time, I must not disguise from myself the possibility that such may be. You shall not blame yourselves for anything. Well, that's frank anyhow. I'll answer for the professor. I don't quite see his drift, but I swear he's honest, and that's good enough for me. I uh, Thank you, sir. Said Van Helsing proudly. I have done myself the honor of counting you one trusting friend, and such endorsement is dear to me. He held out a hand, which Quincy took. Then Arthur spoke out. Dr. Van Helsing, I don't quite like to buy a pig in a poke, as they say in Scotland, and if it be anything in which my honor as a gentleman or my faith as a Christian is concerned, I cannot make such a promise. Oops. If you can assure me that what you intend to does not violate either of these two, then I give my consent at once. 
though for the life of me, I cannot understand what you are driving at. I accept your limitation, and all I ask of you is that if you feel it necessary to condemn any act of mine, you will first consider it, consider it well and be satisfied that it does not violate your reservations. Agreed. That is only fair. And now that the poor parlors are over? Poor parlors? Poor, uh, poor opening talks. Okay. Parlay. Parlay. In order to speak, basically. Gotcha. Now that that's done, may I ask what <laughs> it is? Today's first lesson. <laughs> may I ask, what is it we are to do? Hey, I want you to come with me and uh, to come in secret to, you know, the churchyard of Kingstead. Arthur's face fell as he said in an amazed sort of way. Where poor Lucy is buried? The professor bowed. Arthur went on. And where then? Eh, you know, to enter the tomb. Arthur stood up. Professor, are you in earnest, or is it some monstrous joke? Oh, Pardon just wait. me. <laughs> I see that you are in earnest. He sat down again, but I could see that he sat firmly and proudly as one who is on his dignity. There was silence until he asked again. And when in the tomb? Eh, yeah, you know, to open the coffin. This is too much! He said, speaking for all of us. He said angrily, <laughs> rising again. I am willing to be patient in all things that are reasonable, but in this, this desecration of the grave, of one who... He fairly choked with indignation. The professor looked pityingly at him. Ah, uh, if I could spare you one pang, my poor friend, God knows that I would. But this night, our feet must tread the thorny path, and later and forever the feet you love must walk in the path of flame. Damn! <laughs> Arthur looked up with set white face and said, Take care, sir. Take care. Would it not be well to hear what I have to say? And then you will at least know the limit of my purpose. Shall I go on? Well, that's fair enough, broke in Morris. After a pause, Velsing and Van Helsing went on, evidently with an effort. Eh, Miss Lucy is dead. Is it not so? Yes, then there can be no wrong to her. But uh, if she be not dead... Arthur jumped to his feet. Good God, what do you mean? <laughs> Has there been any mistake? Has she been buried alive? He groaned in anguish that not even hope could soften. I did not say she was uh, alive, my child. I did not think it. I got I go no further than to say that she might be, yeah, as you say, undead. Not alive. What do you mean? Is this all a nightmare, or what is this? It's too bad Angela Lansbury just died because this, she'd be so proud of this performance. John. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there are mysteries which men can only guess at, which age by age may only solve in part. Believe me, we are now on the verge of one. <laughs> but I have not done. Uh, may I cut off the head of Miss Dead Lucy? <laughs> Heaven and earth! cried Arthur in a storm of not being crazy, <laughs> in a storm of passion. Not for the wide world will I consent to any mutilation of her dead body. Dr. Van Helsing, you try me too far. What have I done to you that you should torture me so? What did that poor sweet girl do that you should want to cast such dishonor on her grave? 
Are you mad to speak such things, or am I mad to listen to them? Don't dare to think more of such a desecration. I shall not give my consent to anything you do. I have a duty to do in protecting her grave from outrage, and by God, I shall do it. Hear, hear. <laughs> Amen. Van Helsing rose up from where he all the time had been seated and said gravely and sternly, My dear Lord Saltingcracker, I do have a duty, a duty to do, a duty to others, a duty to you, a duty to the dead. Quit saying duty. <laughs> do so badly. And by God, I shall do it. I shall do my duty. <laughs> <laughs> All I ask now is that you come with me and that you look and listen. Huh? And if when later I make the same request, you do not be more eager for its fulfillment than even I am, then then I shall do my duty, <laughs> whatever it may seem to me. And then to follow of your lordship's wishes, I shall hold myself at your disposal to render an account to you when and where you will. His voice broke a little, and he went on with a voice full of pity. But I beseech you, do not go in force in anger with me. In a long life of acts which were often not pleasant to do, and which sometimes did wring my heart, I have never had so heavy a task as now. Believe me that if time comes for you to change your mind toward me, one look from you will wipe away all this so sad hour, for I will do what a man can do to save you from sorrow. Just think, for why should I give myself so much of labor and so much sorrow? I have come here from my own land to do what I can of good. At first, to please my friend John, and then to help a sweet young lady whom too I came to love. For her, I am ashamed to say so much, but I say it in kindness. I gave what you gave, my the blood of my veins. Well, that secret didn't last long. Right? Nope. I gave it I, who was not like you, her lover, but only her physician and her friend. I gave her my many nights and days before her death, after death, and if my death can do her good even now, when she is dead, undead, she shall have it freely. He said this with very grave pride, very grave, sweet pride, and Arthur was much affected by it. He took the old man's hand and said in a broken voice, Oh, it is hard to think of it. And I cannot understand, but at least I shall go with you and wait. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is and the undead is where we shall stop <laughs> for today. <laughs> Whew, that was intense. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the best part definitely was when he goes, um, can I cut off a Lucy's head? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd just like to, you know, just, you know, just out do a little the, thing. Yeah. I'd like to maybe uh, cut off her head. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. What did he think Arthur was going to say? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I, am more and more convinced this is like, really, you want to start a cult, read Dracula, and follow step-by-step step Van Helsing. I yeah. think there needs to be like the alternate version of this book where Van Helsing actually is the murderer and these people are like <gasps> drawn into a cult. Okay, Van we're trademarking that idea that's going to come right. out from Drunk Gals Media. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Write that down, please. I'm writing it. <laughs> yeah. And we can do like some gender reversals and. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. There we go. So there was that one little quote earlier that um, Seward was making from some Byron, I think, was the author. Yeah. Lord and Byron. so it was uh, I thought it was hysterical because as I was going through this ahead of time, I 
didn't know what this was. So I wrote a little note in here that it's a reference from a poem written by Lord Byron called Don Juan. But this particular version is a satirical piece depicting the life of the legend Don Juan, but with a twist. Instead of being a womanizer, he is easily wooed by women. You know, I, that just made me chuckle. And so I had to include it in our notes. <laughs> you know, so. Lord Byron was never afraid of doing the thing. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> have, we, um, have we done a deep dive on Lord Byron and his ex exploits yet? Uh, no, one. but we writing can. that down too yeah. <laughs> because you know you know who he had uh, more than passing acquaintance with, of course, Mary Shelley. Mary, yeah. Oh, and, and passing to, acquaintance is code for something. Yeah. Well, oh. to avoid him, I think she ended up writing that book. Right. Oh, so she didn't have to like no. have his hand on her thigh the whole uh, whole weekend. Oh <laughs> yeah. my She's goodness. She's like, yeah, I got to go wash my hair and write a great novel. Mm -hmm. I have okay. to invent a whole genre of fiction. Yeah, so exactly. I don't have to like deal with you. <laughs> All right, what's coming up next, Kate? Okay, so tomorrow, chapter sixteen, the Scooby Gang heads for the graveyard. <laughs> Zoinks! <laughs> Lucy gives us an OnlyFans-worthy encore. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> and Van Helsing encourages Lord Saltine Cracker with a little necrophilia. Oh, my God. That sounds like the opposite of I can't wait. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, and, don't, and while we're at it, don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash drunkmythologygals. That's right. For the month of October, we are having a special Drunk Dracula Gals tier for just $1. You get all these Dracula episodes as soon as they're done producing. And you also get access to all of our other Lit Crit Hour episodes. That's right. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, you know, I love you so much, but uh, would you mind if I went and cut off that person's head and stuff with the garlic, you know? Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly, then so can you. Uh -huh.